0: In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. John, in his gospel, only shares seven miracles. Only seven. Thus, the ones that he decides to put into his gospel, you can understand, are tremendously important. And they are put there, obviously, to teach more than the fact that God can heal. And John chapter 9 is... Certainly, full of a lot more teaching than just the fact that God can heal. Jesus, in verse 1, passed by. He passed by those who were seeking to murder Him. In the last chapter, in chapter 8, by the time Jesus got to the point in His long discussion and debate with the religious leaders, by the time He got to the point of saying to them that He... Is God They were so angry And so convinced that He was committing blasphemy They took up stones to cast at Him And they set about to kill Him The Bible says Passing through their midst He went out from them Coming to verse 1 it says As He passed by He passed by them And out through the huge gates that would have been there at the temple and down the steps which they've uncovered and you can go and sit on those steps with us on our next trip to Israel which is coming up in the not too distant future and there as he passed by he ran into a man who was always there he had been blind from birth the Bible says thus he would have always been there effectively during their lifetime as a beggar it was the safest place to beg People were coming to the temple to give of their offerings to the Lord. They had the temple police who would have offered protection in that environment. So it was a great place for a beggar to be. And being there, it also put him in the position to be nearer to Jesus, near enough to be touched by him. In verse 2, his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents That he was born blind, the obvious question in a society shot through with immorality and thus venereal disease, one of which is gonorrhea, which in the birth process will leave the baby blind because of the sin and the disease of the mother. And thus in that society so many were blind. That's part of the reason you see so many blind people being touched by Jesus in the Gospels. But their question was basically philosophical. They saw him as a point of discussion. And Jesus could have answered by sitting down and giving them enough information to write an entire book because sin and suffering are connected. And we looked at that in detail in in one of the messages that we have had in the past here. But rather, he gave them a short answer. Their preoccupation was within the philosophical confines of the man's condition simply because, though they learned it later, they had not yet learned to look on their fellow human beings the way this human being looked on his fellow human beings. This man, Jesus, when he looked at a human being, he didn't look at them in a surface way, he never looked at them in a philosophical way, but rather, what can I do for this person? And that's what he felt in looking at this man. He had compassion on his condition. We learned in our study already that this man was born blind for that moment. That's why he was born blind, allowed by God to be born blind, so that in that moment God could touch him and heal him. And so you see the love of God behind the man's condition. But Jesus here says in verse 3, that Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. And then he says the words we're going to occupy ourselves with here. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work as long as I am in the world. I am the light of the world. And Spurgeon well said that the Savior here has a greater respect for work than he does for speculation. And thus gives rise to a very provocative study... On just the work end of what Jesus is doing here. And when he had said these things, in verse 6, he spat on the ground and he made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the man with clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated Sent. and he washed and he came back seeing. And we'll go on to look at those things in detail in the future. But the first thing I wanted to draw to your attention here was was the boldness of Jesus as he is In his life, he's passing by, but he's going somewhere. The boldness of benevolent work. A life dedicated to that. Think about this. For Jesus to move from one point to another in his life, always involved reaching out to the next point of need. Jesus has only one life in the Gospels. It's a benevolent life. Unlike so many of us who have one life, two lives, three lives, four, we live these different lives. He only lived one life. What you see him doing in the Gospels was his life. He had no life separate from the will of the Father. That was his life. And what you have to understand is that doesn't equate to a boring life. That doesn't equate to any kind of a narrow life. It equates to the fullest possible life. I think we tend to develop a second life to try to have a fuller life. I think we tend to develop a third maybe to try to have a fuller life. Jesus had one life that he developed. It was doing the will of the Father. Doing the works he had been sent to do. And thus... He has a calmness and a confidence here as he walks through a crowd that is bent on killing him that comes to a person who lives that kind of life. He has the calmness of understanding he's under the protection of God's providential hand. Another way to put it is that you are invincible until your time comes. You have an appointed hour to die. People have often said, if you believe in the rapture... Why don't you just get raptured when you become a Christian? Because. The answer is right here. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me. And that's why. God has work for you to do. And the moment you're done with that work, God is going to take you home. The moment, the very moment the work is done. Here, you will be taken home. If you will live in the confidence of the individual who will cultivate one life. A life given to expanding the kingdom of God, you will live in the peace that Jesus has here and you will be able, in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of persecution, you said they persecuted me and they're going to persecute you if you follow me, you'll be able to coolly, calmly, peacefully go on about your work no matter what the storm is that rages around you. In John 14, 27 why don't you hold your finger right here in, in 9. Just look at John fourteen twenty seven. I see this as Jesus speaking of the peace he had right there in the midst of that situation. To be able to stop and minister to a blind man with that kind of a crisis breathing down his back. I see him as wanting to transfer that peace to us. In verse 27, he said, Peace I leave with you, my peace. You see that? My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. So it isn't just peace. It is a very peculiar peace. What kind Lord? The same kind he had in his heart as he went about living that one life committed to expanding the kingdom. Alexander McLaren put it well. He said, Peace does not come from the absence of trouble, but from the presence of God. That's good. In Isaiah 26, 3, it says, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord, is the rock eternal. I see Jesus walk through a murder plot. I mean, they have the rocks in their hands. They're going to kill him. He just passes through the gate. You could probably hear them screaming behind. As he's going down the steps, he stops. He notices a man blind from birth and his heart goes out in compassion. There's still the roar of the murderous shouts behind him. But he's not listening. He's focusing on that. Able to block out the shouts of murder and give that over to the father. And he turns and he goes over and begins to minister to this man and peace and boldness and confidence that comes to a life lived for the benevolent work of God's kingdom this raises the issue when he says I must work if you look at verse 4 of John 9 again the issue of the need for kingdom work Jesus says I must work Jesus why wouldn't you be running as fast as you can go Why would you stop to heal a blind man? Because, here's the answer, understand this, because I must work. I must work. There's kingdom work to do. And He's part of it, that's why. And thus the Father will take care of protecting me, but I must work. This is a mindset that you find in Jesus Christ from the very first recorded utterance of His in the Bible. We see Jesus born in the manger. We see him taken off to Egypt, we see him brought back, but we don't hear him. So as we're waiting, reading, watching in the Bible, waiting for him to speak, you say, then what's the first utterance we hear? The first utterance comes when he was left behind at the temple. His parents got on the caravan to go home. They realized he was not with them. They came back. His mother came found him. He's reasoning with the leaders in the temple there about the deep things of God and his mother in Luke 249 said, Son, why have you done this to us? Why have you dealt with us like this? And I can just see him with all due respect, with all love and reverence for his mother. And he turns, he says, Oh, it's almost he's saying, Mother, you, you, you of all people should understand that I must be about my father's business. The time has come where it begins but then we don't hear another thing for years and then as he goes out into his public ministry and he begins to work and to preach and he comes to Capernaum which would become his headquarters and you will go to Capernaum if you come with us to Israel on our next trip to Israel these are time released advertisements sewn throughout the message so just get used to it now but Jesus would make his headquarters there, but you see him, and it's amazing to me because the context where you find him, you remember that whole place where um, the Bible says, and Jesus rising a great while before day, went out to pray? Well, what happened was the day before, he ministered all day long, preaching, teaching, preaching, teaching, ministering to the multitudes, and then he went to rest for the night at Peter's house. Peter had a fishing business in Capernaum right on the shore of Galilee and you can see his house when we go and you know the rest. On our trip to Israel next, you can't see it. So he goes there and come to find out his mother is sick with a fever so he stops and he heals her. But then they find out that he's here and all the multitudes come and crowd around the house so he goes out and long into the evening and into the night he heals all of them. You would think he would turn to the disciples and say, Fellas, tomorrow I'm sleeping in until 11. Do not wake me under any circumstances. Yet, you read in the Bible, and yet the next morning, rising a great while before day, probably 5 in the morning, 4 in the morning, he was found out praying to the Father. And then the people came and they crowded around him and they begged him to stay in Capernaum. And he said, I must Go to preach the kingdom. Luke four forty three, the kingdom of God in other cities also, for therefore am I sent. Can't stay now, I have to go, I must do what awaits me in the other cities. Always this sense of what must be done next. When he was preaching, walking through the town one day, Zacchaeus, a wee little man, the Bible says, climbed up in a tree to be able to see him. Jesus is walking along and he senses him there. And in Luke nineteen five, he said, Zacchaeus, come down and make haste, do it quick make haste always a sense of the brevity you see of the time come down he says because i must abide at your house on he said luke 9:22 the son of man must suffer many things john 10:16 other sheep i have that are not of this fold them i must bring there is this i must work mindset in jesus christ And it is there from the time we see him at 12 years old until the time we see him at the cross. Where he finally says, it is what? Finished. It was there all the way to the very end. And so he says, I must. There is this great need for kingdom work. And then there is this priority of your specific work. And I want to remind you, he said, I must. He also said, The harvest is great and the laborers are few. He said, Pray to the Father that he would thrust forth, literally, is the Greek, thrust forth laborers out into the harvest. And as I look at this, I, I cannot help but ask myself, Am I willing to pray this and am I willing to go? Because you cannot pray that prayer at all unless you're willing to go yourself into the harvest. If you read that prayer where Jesus says pray and you have any sense of responsibility at all to pray it, then please understand it all begins with you being willing to say, here my Lord, send me. The thing about Jesus is that he stands as this example of he's a human being. He's a human being besides God. He's a human being and he stands as an example of one who's willing to go himself. And so you see the priority of your specific work as you see it in his life. In John 9, 4 again. This is the most amazing sentence. I love just taking it one word at a time and working my way through. You see the work itself in general. You see the boldness he has with it the need for it but here the priority of the specifics he says I and he sought to finish all the work that was specific to his life I must work the works of him who sent me and he did it as a servant among servants I love to see Jesus Christ from the human side I think one of the most beneficial studies we will ever do of Jesus Christ is looking at his human side and here is his human side. I must work the works of him who sent me. He saw himself as one servant among many servants. As a human being. Each having his, his own specific work to do. And each with the need to discover the specifics and then do it. Listen to Luke 22:27. This is Jesus. He says, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is not he who sits at the table? That would be the master. He says, yet I am among you as one who serves. See, he saw himself as a laborer in the harvest. Yes, there's the overarching great work of salvation as God. But as the man, he also saw himself as one of those few laborers. So he says, I am among you, among you, we are together, I am among you as one who serves. In Matthew twenty twenty eight, he said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The man Jesus Christ saw himself as one of many called to serve in the harvest. He also saw himself as one committed to the appealing and unappealing aspects of these works God had called him to do. He said, I must work the works. Works here is plural. There are many specifics. I see it in his life like this. Many specific appointments and works spread across a very short timeline, 33 years in his life but many, many things packed into that short timeline. I must work the works of him who sent me. And the must, in front of the plural, the many works, the must, then says, I will do them all. And I will not stop until I have done them all. And when he said, it is finished, he was looking back on a life where he had not left even one out. I look at the Garden of Gethsemane and I I see the horror that our Lord experienced there. Looking toward the cross and bearing our sins. The agony he went through, that is so distasteful, so unappealing. But he did it and he went through it. He even drew his best friends in with him. When Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane, he left most of the disciples out at the gate... And then he took his best friends, always Peter, James, and John, his three closest friends. He took them with him. At that point, not so much for their great power and their intercessory prayer, because we know they slept, (laughs) but because they were his friends. Only adding to his agony when they slept. Could you not even watch and pray one hour with me? But that was so distasteful. But then you see the other parts of his life. For example, he's walking along. He's in the midst of the multitudes. And some lady who's been so afflicted for years, she sees that tassel swinging on the bottom of his garment, a rabbi's garment, and the clothes that the children of Israel were to wear. They had these tassels along the bottom of the garment. And those tassels would have been swinging as he walked through the crowd. She said to herself, based on what I know about him, if I can just reach around this guy and this lady and stick my hand right through there and grab one of those swinging tassels, I'm going to connect with all that virtue in him and power. And he's going to heal me. And she grabbed a swinging tassel, literally. Jesus stopped and he said, who touched me? His disciple says, What are you mad? You know, this everybody's touching you. That's the story of your life. Walk down the street, they touch you the mo- what are you talking? I guess that's kind of a New York Jewish type thing, isn't it? Uh uh-uh, it's a feeble attempt. But anyway, he said, I know someone touched me because virtue went out from me, and here is this glorious healing, the woman set free in a moment. See Those are the wonderful things of doing the works the Father had sent him. Rolling in the dirt, agonizing, sweating, capillaries bursting under his skin from emotional conflict, looking toward burying your sins, separation from the Father, sweat oozing through his pores where the perspiration would come out, mingling that with the dirt, covered with a bloody sweat taken, beaten and more blood, sweat mixed, ripping the garment off, pulling off the flesh with the solidified clotting blood and on and on. You see, all of that was so distasteful. But he was committed to doing all the works. All of them. Uh, Here's a third thought here. As one guiding others to follow the example of his service, he said, I am among you as one who serves. We are in this together. But if you look at John 20, John 20, verse 21, Jesus has this constant, never-ending sense that he was sent to do these works for the Father. In John twenty twenty one, Jesus said to them, Peace to you. Why? Because they were going to need it. And as they followed him, they would get it. He says, peace to you. And then this, as the father has sent me, I also send you. So here in healing the blind man, he says, why did I heal the blind man? Because I'm sent. I must work the works. Here in John twenty twenty one, he says, and now I am sending you and you must because I'm leaving. Someone has said there are a lot of Christians who are doing nothing, but there are no Christians who have nothing to do. You have... That is true of your life and mine because we have been sent. He said, I am sending you. Someone else said, There is no doubt that much Christian work remains undone simply because of this that all Christians have not yet learned that each believer is personally to do the works, all of them, of him who sent him. What if Jesus walking out of the gate briskly because they're trying to murder him? What if he was walking down the steps and one of the other guys noticed the blind man? What if Peter says, Lord, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, I know you're busy. I know you're kind of in a hurry, escaping death, but hold it. There's a blind man over here. You think you have time to heal this guy? It'd be great, Lord. Maybe he could come with us. What if Jesus turned to Peter and says, You know what Peter, listen to me very closely, read my lips. Two and a half years, I've been healing blind people. I'm so sick of healing blind people. I don't want to see another blind people. I don't want to, I'm tired of it. I have done my time. Let someone else do it. How about the cross? Ah, I'm tired of it. I've done enough. You're going to pray in the garden? No, I thought about it, but I'm not. I've done enough. Maybe later. What if he wouldn't have healed that blind man or what if he wouldn't have gone to the cross? You see, you look at that and go, No, 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 I'm so glad he did. Then you must realize he said, Then so send I you. He went all the way to the end. I must work the works of him who sent me. I must works, I must work them all. Appealing and unappealing. You see, if he had the attitude that so many of us have had, we figure a year, two years, six months we put in our time, we're done. And now announcing the ninth year of the Harvest Crusade. Yeah, that's wonderful. I plan on being there, popcorn, coke. I hear they have Carl's Jr. there now, you know. Hey, Mabel, they got CJ's in Edison Field. You wanna come, we'll go to the crusade, we'll get fries. Maybe we can go big. You know, get the big burger, the big fry, the big coke. (laughs) But I'm not going early if I don't get a good seat. If I don't get a good seat, I'm not even going. Is that the way you feel? You see, what if if Jesus operated the way we did, we would all go straight to hell because we think of it like this. Well, you know, the first year I put in my time. I even came back for a second term. What do you want from me? My life? Yes, that's exactly it. That is exactly it. God does not want any of us to hear Harvest Crusade this year and say, "I did my time." I'm a veteran. Now I encourage others to help as well. And someday they'll be in my retirement club and they can be veterans too. And we'll wear veteran Harvest Crusade t-shirts. We don't help, we've done it. Well, what happens if everybody does their turn? Oh, it doesn't matter, Greg will save them. He ain't preaching anyway. It doesn't work like that. The harvest is great, the laborers are few, pray, pray father would send forth laborers in the harvest may god help us to never ever 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 see the work that we have been sent to do as a two-year term as a one-year term as a six-year term whatever but to work them all to do them all to go to the end to be willing to finish it to let the mind be in us that was in jesus philippians 2 5 says let this mind be in you which was in jesus who Made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bond servant. I think one of the reasons, honestly, that we drop out and are really heading toward not finishing the works we've been sent to do, if we don't change something, is that we often feel so inadequate. We have this overwhelming sense of inadequacy. And I know you feel that way. I feel that way. And I regret the fact I let it stop me too much in my life. I would direct your thinking to Philippians 4.19. Paul says, And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Vance Havner, who is now in heaven, once said, In Jesus we have all. He is all we need and He is all we want. And then this staggering thought. We are shipwrecked on God and stranded on omnipotence. I love that. You see, as a sinner, in my hopeless condition, I am shipwrecked on God. But I am also, in the same time, at the cross, saved by grace. Give a new life in Him. Fully not dependent on Him. I am stranded on His omnipotence, which is the almighty power of the living God who can do anything. It's a great place to be stranded, isn't it? On the power of God. I think of the disciples in the book of Acts and Acts chapter 4. Can you turn down your Bible, Acts chapter 4, verse 29? I think they were feeling inadequate. They'd been out preaching, they saw themselves as servants sent finish the work they'd been given to do and they were many of them were dying being killed being in prison I think they were scared I think they felt so inadequate and in Acts 4.29 they went to God to overcome that inadequacy and we read as they went to prayer Acts 4.29 they prayed and they said now Lord look on their threats and grant to your what do they see themselves as? Your servants, that's what we are, your servants, that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with what? Boldness. Behold their threats. What does that say? It says, Lord, we're afraid. They're not idle threats. Some of our brethren are dead. Lord, we're afraid they're putting us in prison. They're separating us from our families. They're torturing us. Lord, we're afraid. But we don't want to be afraid. We feel so inadequate, but we don't want to feel inadequate. Because you, Lord, are are our all-sufficient God. Now, Lord, grant us the power and the sufficiency to get the job done. And the next thing you do, they're outdoing it. Next thing you see, they're outdoing it, filled with the Holy Spirit. See, they understood, grant to your servants, they understood the priority of their specific work. And they wanted to get it done and they knew they could get it done if they would trust in Him. And God was faithful to them. So as we look at all of this, you see the boldness of one who lives the life of benevolent work for the kingdom giving you see the need the harvest is great the laborers are few you see the priority of your specific work you have people to reach that others are never going to reach God has designed you would reach them reach out to them we watch that video of the man coming down the steps just crying his eyes out To find freedom and forgiveness in Christ. Do you realize how many people are out there like that? They're not all hard. They're not all rejectors. So many are just waiting. They're waiting to tell you this. In all my life no one has ever told me this. I'm so glad you have. What do I do now? (laughs) and you say, pray with me, and you can ask Christ into your life right now. They're waiting for you to do that. And you can do it by the sufficiency of God. You can do your work and your part that adds to the bigger events and all of that as well. But you must see this. You must see that there is also the brevity of the time in which to work. Jesus saw his time as very short. Look at John 9, 4 again. He said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Because the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's an old eastern proverb that says that you work while it's daylight and you can't work when it's dark. That's simple. And he's saying that every man's life has a daytime and a nighttime. And while you live, it's daytime. And when you die, it's night. And you cannot continue to do the things you did before you died. He is saying, I have a very brief time to do what I have to do. I must work the works while it's day. I must work the works while I'm alive. I must work them while I'm human. I must work them while I walk with you, while I'm a friend of yours. We must do it together. Because we don't have much time. And he didn't have much time left at that point, really. He saw his time so very short, he treasured every moment. That's why under a death threat, he stops to heal a man because that's the only time he'll ever have to touch that man. It had to be now. And you and I have to see our time as very short as well. You know, when you're young, you think you have all the time in the world, but you don't. And we all have a different span of time, a different span. We're not all going to be here and every one of us die at 67 and a half. Or 81 and three quarters, or 90. We all have a different allotted number. Jesus says, I must work the works of Him who sent me while it's day. And I've got to do it now. You see, life is too short, I've discovered, to do everything I want to do. It's too short. I'll never get everything I want to do done in one life. But it's just long enough exactly to the moment to get everything done He wants me to do. And when I finish that last thing, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. It's like I told you, uh, Don McClure, you know who comes and shares with us, preaches with us. Don McClure, Pastor Don, his uh, father-in-law, when it was, came his time to die, he died in his 90s. He'd lived a full productive life. The very last thing he asked for as he'd been laying there silent, he suddenly spoke. He called the nurse over. She leaned over, what is it that you want? He said, I want a bucket. She said, a bucket. I want a bucket. I want a bucket. He became very, I want a bucket. She brings a bucket. She says, What do you want to do with this? He says, I want to kick it. And he kicked the bucket. They put it right by his foot and he kicked it. And he died and went to heaven. (laughs) What a way to go! Joy of the Lord. Bring me a bucket have our moment and i pray that god will help us live in such a way that we will go like that that's a statement that says i've done my part i've done it all i finished it and i just want to kick the bucket you see it's an honor it's a privilege and it's a responsibility and the time is so short and we don't know how much time we have and we're not so sure we'll be here tomorrow and by this time next year some of you are going to be gone somebody here some of us here will be gone probably I realize I'm preaching to a congregation that won't be the same next year. I may be gone. So there is an urgency. A little girl was asked one time years ago before electric lights. She was working so hard. She had this little candle. Intensely working. She was asking, why are you working so hard? She said, because my candle is almost burnt out. And I have not got another. You only get one. This life is one go-round. In Ecclesiastes 12.1, it says, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth, before the difficult days come. And the years draw near when you say, I have no pleasure in them. You see, there's certain things we can do when we're young, we can't do when we're old. We have to do them now. And even if we remain in good health, there's the aging process. Even if you're totally healthy, you get older and you're never sick, there's certain things you can't do later. I told Rick Nagura today, I said, you know, I've come back surfing, I'm back. I said, but I'm now 46, I'm not 18 anymore, therefore I can only hope to get back hanging five, bottom turns and a few tube rides. I doubt if I'm going to be doing floaters and, you know, flying through the air and all those things because I'm too old and slightly brittle and sort of heavy. (laughs) But I've been hanging five and he has seen me. He's a witness. My point is this there's certain things I can't do, I used to do, and so it is in the spiritual things. Physically, you have to take care of the time now, and you have to look at the brevity of it and, and look at what you do. And if you teach children's church, look at the short time you have with them, but you can make an impact. While you have the opportunity, the windows of opportunity can suddenly be gone. I want you to look at John 9 4, John 9 5, and I want to take out a few of the critical thoughts for us today and weave them together and see what it says. John 9, 4 and John 9, 5. I see this message becomes this to us in the text. I must work the works of him who sent me as long as I am in the world. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I now send you. I take what he said here and I see these words standing out to me. I must work the works of him who sent me as long as I am in the world. And I take those now as mine. Because Jesus left the world, humanly speaking, and he went back to heaven. I am now in the world. I must work those works. And as we come to the close here of our message, I want to ask you. I ask you already a few questions, you know, like... Are you sure you're going to be around tomorrow, next week, next year? If you're a preacher of the Word, how do you preach? I ask myself that. I ask you if you're a children's teacher, whatever, mother, father. Let me ask you another question. Are you full of excuses? I think it's human to be full of excuses. I know. I have my own. Yet, in the end, the excuses are too costly. You must get rid of them. How about this? Is your excuse, I'm too young! I'm too young to work the works of Him who sent me. Vance Havner started preaching at 11. You know what they called him down the south? They called him the boy preacher. At 11, at first it was kind of a novelty. Let the boy get up and preach a few lines, you know. He's so aggressive and excited and enthusiastic. But you see, he preached into his 80s. He started at 11. You're not too young. The other day I was up with the vacation Bible school just saying hi as people went out to their respective classes and places. And I saw my son Daniel go by with a group of people that were half as tall as him. I thought they were the leprechaun squad, but I soon discovered they were the four-year-olds. And I said, Daniel, what are you doing? And he says, I'm going to help out with the four-year-olds. Daniel's 12. I thought, that's wonderful. I didn't even order him to do it. And it's just (laughs) tremendous. You might say, well, maybe it's not I'm so young. Maybe it's I'm so shy. I'm so shy. You know what? You might be. That's real but you can work around that I consider this that I came to Christ the moment I was reading Greg Laurie's little cartoon book track about Jesus cartoon booklet Living Waters see there's a number of you if you're too shy okay fine then help out with other things but you can also get a little booklet and hand it to someone how about this one this one happens a lot I'm so sinful, I must work the works of him who sent me. And I would, but I'm so sinful. Is that your excuse? What's the name on the first gospel in the Bible, in the New Testament? What's the first New Testament gospel? Come on, you can do it, come on. Matthew, you know who Matthew was? Matthew was the little mochess of Capernaum the little mochess of Capernaum he was a tax collector the big mochess was the guy who worked directly with the Romans and his job was to get the money taken back to Rome the little mochess was the guy who worked underneath him his job was to actually take the money out of the hands of the people and figure out a way to cheat them So that he could make a nice living on his own because everything he cheated out of them, he could keep for himself the rest, normal amount of taxes he could send to the big Mochess who sent it to Rome. So as the little Mochess in the town of Capernaum, he was probably one of the most sinful people in the whole town and definitely one of the most hated because he was one of them. He was a Jew. His name was Levi. One of the most sinful people in the whole town wrote the book of Matthew later because after Jesus got a hold of him and he said Lord I'm willing now he went on and did such a massive work is your excuse I'm too sinning I present to you the first gospel in the New Testament written by the most sinful man in town converted and then sent forth as the father has sent me Jesus said you might have this excuse I'm so far from my calling I left it I'm gone then I say Jonah come back I'm so far from my calling. Fine. Get back on the bus and stop it. What else can I say to you? You know, God called me. I know it. I knew it. I've buried my talent. Get your shovel out and get back in action. Dig that thing up and get going in the right direction. Jonah ran from God. He ran in the other direction from the Spirit of God. Caused a lot of trouble. They threw him overboard. So the storm was stopped. He landed in the mouth of a big fish. The fish went cruising around for three days and then said, I've had enough of this guy. The boat couldn't take him and neither can I. And he threw up on the shore. Guess who came out? Jonah. Skin now eaten away by digestive juices of the fish. Baking in the hot sun. He found a big hat and he preached in Nineveh and revival broke out. You ran from your calling? Fine. Stop it. It's enough. Come on back. Get with it. How about this? I'm so handicapped. You might be. So is Johnny Erickson Tata. I remember walking down in the basement of the Beijing Hotel in China. And as I was walking along, I saw a dusty book rack. And as I went over to the book rack, it's only because they didn't clean the place. As I went to the book rack, I'm twirling it. And here's a book in Beijing, China, when times were extremely closed up, Heavy communist persecution against Christian, And I pulled the book off the rack written by Johnny Erickson. From her wheelchair. And the only thing she can move is her mouth. And I wept. I stood there and I wept. And I thought about all the time I've done nothing for God. And here's a woman in a wheelchair touching lives in China. From her wheelchair. And she can't move. Are you handicapped? It's alright. right. will be strong in your weakness. Susanna Spurgeon, we know much about her husband, but she, from her wheelchair, sent books all over to the world to pastors and missionaries who didn't have enough money to buy any so they could study them and feed their flocks. The last excuse, I think, would probably be I'm so old. My excuse isn't I'm too young. I'm so old. Or oh, are you old? You can't do a thing. Yes, I'm so old. I put in my time. Arlene over here is in her 80s. I see her marching all around town. She gives me tapes. She encourages me. And she shows up at Riverside at Harvest when I go out there. Of the course, wants to see Greg, but gets me. And then she brings me the tape when she's there and says, You know, Greg wasn't there, and I, you were there. But here's your tape anyway. Kind of like, listen to it and get better, and I'll stick around. I don't know. I'm just kidding. She's a great encouragement to me. She's in her 80s. I'm so old, I can't help, I can't do my work. Helen Christian, our church, is pushing 90. And she's the leader of a ladies' group, one of the most dynamic ladies' groups in our whole women's fellowship. Muriel is 80, aren't you? Down here in the front, in the green, Muriel makes me jam. And I eat the jam, and I put it on my sourdough toast, and I feel like I can conquer the world, and I come and preach how happy I am. It's because of Muriel's jam, and she's 80. I'm out, Muriel. Just wanted to let you know. <laughs> Through the char away this afternoon. Thought there's got to be a place in the message I can really get to, Muriel. <laughs> so I can get some more jam quick. No pressure, though. Don't. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. While I am in this world. And he will help me. He will give me the grace, and He will bless me. If I will only be willing and take that step to get moving, He will point me in the right direction. Let's pray. Father, thank You that there is something for each one of us to do. Thank You, Lord, that You are our sufficiency, that Your grace is more than sufficient. Thank You, God, that You will supply all of our need according to Your riches in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you know each one of our names. And knowing our name, you have crafted together the most wonderful, marvelous plan a human being could ever ask for for this lifetime. And you call that plan the abundant life. And straight through that plan, there is a river that runs through it, a river of living water springing up inside of us with joy unspeakable and peace that passes understanding to strengthen us and bless us in the midst of the work. Both the appealing and unappealing, Lord, may we be committed to do it, to love it, and to do it until we can say, we have finished the work you have sent us to do. Lord, we look toward that day with great anticipation when you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of the Lord. And so now, Father, lead us and guide us. Holy Spirit, fill us to that end as we ask it for your glory. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.